Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Gateway to the Smokies podcast. This podcast is about America's most visited national park, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and the surrounding towns. This area is filled with ancient natural beauty, a deep storied history, and rich mountain cultures that we will explore with weekly episodes. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, a man of the world, but also with deep roots in these mountains. My family has lived in the Great Smokies for over 200 years. My business is in travel, but my heart is in culture. Today we have, uh, we're going to be talking about bluegrass and gospel. My guest today has a strong connection to the Smoky Mountains and is known to everyone who loves, loves bluegrass and gospel music. And hang on to the end, and we're going to give you some uh, tips and, uh, and resources to continue your explorations of the Smokies. Now, first, let me give you a little hint on who our guest is by telling you about the Balsam Mountain section of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. It's in uh, it's in North Carolina, and it's one of, and it's the it's one of the park's highest elevation areas, and is accessible by car. Uh, it, it also has great hiking, camping, and picnicking, and, and spectacular views. Um, it has only it has it has paved access uh, by taking a road called the Blue Ridge Park uh, Blossom Mountain Road, and uh, there's also an exciting way down called uh, uh, the. Hintoga Ridge Road, which is a one-lane dirt road going one way. But the views along it are stupendous, <laughs> and especially in the fall when you get all those fall colors. Uh, and when you eventually end up, you can eventually use that to get the Big Cove Road, which will bring you right into Cherokee. Now, one of the most unusual things you'll find in North Carolina's Smoky Mountain Parks and probably a lot of places is that you'll find a Masonic marker monument in the, uh, in the, in, in the, along that road. <laughs> and it's basically um, where it meets the Balsam Mountain section of the Great Smoky Mountains Park and the Balsam Mountain Road. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's an unusual mark. Mar- monument that marks the spot where the world's largest and oldest fraternal organization, the Masons, have their summer assembly since 1935. Um, and, 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 I mean, I, you know, there's just, you, you find these things in the mountains all the time. You know, like Lake Junaluska is the, is the center of the World Methodist uh, Council. And, you know, people like to come to the mountains and establish long traditions. Another big thing I think in the Balsam Mountain area is the uh, is that it has a step, it has a, a a really fantastic picnic area, historic picnic area. It's actually the most picturesque <laughs> uh, park picnic area, and it also has the highest elevation in the in the, all of the park, well over five thousand feet uh, in, in elevation. It has a bunch of picnic sites, but half of them, and are, which is really interesting, half of them are these handmade huge stone slabs with split log benches. Uh, and they're one of a kind tables that were made by the stonemasons and the civilian converge conserva- conservation corps in the thirties and are really a standing testament to craftsmanship. And of course, I can't forget to mention um, uh, Cold Mountain is in the Balsam Range. I don't know if you remember that book, that best-selling book in the movie with Nicole Kidman about a civil war veteran and the sweetheart he left behind. Uh, but it has some great fight, hiking trails. And of course, it's a great story to take back and tell people that you went to Cold Mountain. Um, now, I'm telling you this because my guest has a song, strong connection to Bals- the Balsam Mountain <laughs> Range. He's Tim Surratt. He's, the, he's one of today's top artists making real root music. 
Uh, and he's a member of the legendary, award-winning, best-selling bluegrass band, Balsam Range. <laughs> and he has a decades-long career in bluegrass and gospel mu- music, including a long stint, stint with the Kingsmen. Hello, Tim. How are you today? I'm doing good, Joseph. Thank you for having me on, man. This is really cool. Yeah, it's uh, it's really cool having you here. I, I was so excited. I had to call people up and say, uh, I have Tim Surrey here at Balsam Range. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, come on. I was starstruck, man. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, get out. Get out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, no, I've been hearing about you for a long time now. People, whenever I was talking about music in the mountains, they go, you know, Balsam Range, you know. So, you've become a real name. And, I mean, you're, you're, you've become legendary. It's, it's, well, uh, it's kind of you to say. Yeah. So, you were, you were actually born and raised in Canton, which is right near the Balsam Range. And yeah. And back in the middle of the Smoky Mountains. What are your fondest memories of the Smoky Mountains growing up there? Well, uh, just just growing up here, and uh, I'm very fortunate. My dad was a great uh, lover of the outdoors, and uh, uh, he was a railroad man here in the in the Smoky Mountains for the for the Norfolk Southern Railroad. But he, uh, you know, uh, back when I was growing up, the outdoors was our our you know it was all recreation we had really. You know, mm-hmm. when you grow up in the mountains here, uh, you might remember. You got you, you might get two TV channels depending on which way the wind's blowing prior to cable, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so all recreation was based on outdoors. My dad loved to hunt and fish and and uh and just drive around, you know. That was still in the days of the the Sunday drive or whatever. And a lot of times we'd load up in, a, in the car or whatever and uh and drive the parkway or or you know go visit relatives. And my dad was a great uh, it drives my wife nuts now because now I'm the same way, but. He was the kind of guy that said, well, let's take the long way. The scene. There you out. go. I remember that. <laughs> and he also, uh, as I was growing up, my dad always kept a couple of Tennessee walking horses, not for showing, but for trail riding. Right. So, so we spent a lot of summer times uh, riding back into the Smokies, uh, you know, places. Like, we'd ride to Clingman's Dome, which is the highest point east of the Mississippi. And, or, well, one of the highest points. It's the second highest, I guess, next to Mount Mitchell. But we would ride. 30, 40 miles back into the Smoky Mountains National Park and camp and trout fish. And so I grew up uh, and also I'm, you know, 35 minutes from Cherokee. And as a child, the history of the, of the Cherokee people fascinated me and, and does to this day. So, um, I, I, you know, I've been involved in that all my life and, um, it's just, it's amazing place to grow up. We know I, uh, I look, I was looking up, me and you're about the same age. So you were probably going to Pisgah. I still, yeah. at the same time I was going to Tuscola. I graduated in 80, so. Well, that's all off. Then. <laughs> it's all off. People might not know it, but it's considered the most, uh, the biggest rivalry in, in, in high school football in the nation a few years back. Some major magazine said it was. Oh, yeah. ESPN uh, and I, came and covered the game. It's crazy to me. In Canton, we have about 4,500 people. And uh, for the Pisgah-Tuscola game, we'll have 12,000 people out here. I don't even know where they all come from. <laughs> it was a thing to do on Friday nights. I think it still oh, yeah. is, right? Yes, yeah, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I, uh, I was my, we were Tennessee Walkers, too. It sounded like you were describing my childhood just about. My dad <laughs> would take us on the long, long roads and uh, – you know, and, uh, and we were doing, we had our own, uh, had our own, uh, Tennessee walks. Of course, my dad, you know, he was a horse trader. So I got <laughs> one horse, I got one horse that was a plow horse, combination plow horse <laughs> and Tennessee walker and the walker. So it was a little bit rough. And then the other one they gave to me, cause I was the only one big enough to handle that. Every time you got on it, his hind foot would come up and kick you in the butt. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those, 
my dad was a big man, about 320 he weighed, and he had a big old horse that was about 16 hands tall at the shoulder. It was a monster. And, uh, but it was the sweetest thing. And I remember as a kid, uh, uh, I would come home from school and take a cinder block and prop it up long ways so I could stand up on it. And that horse would walk up and let me get on it. And so I'd ride around that way. <laughs> well, you, I, I understand your dad was a big influence on you, on your, on your music pretty, pretty early, right? Yes, absolutely. Dad was a, um, uh, was an excellent singer. He played guitar, uh, a bit, and he was what I would call a, um, jokingly referred to as an animal singer you know it was a friday night was the moose lodge saturday night was elks lodge the <laughs> lions club you know yeah and all oh, the local little, all the local little places he was a fine um he sang a lot of bluegrass he loved bluegrass but he was a better country singer in the you know the old time uh, like marty robbins ray price uh, kind of country singer yeah. so and he would and and i'm very grateful he let me tag along to the practices which i was enthralled with as just a small kid uh, all the instruments blew my mind uh whether it was a bluegrass band or uh, a country band with steel guitars and whatnot you know um so uh, there was a great element of of music in my life from my earliest memories so and there was a southern rock too you did a little bit of electric bass didn't you Oh yeah. Yeah. I got, my, I got my, uh, when I was 14, my dad was trying to coax me into doing well in school. Uh, I guess about ninth grade. And he promised me if I would uh, do well in the first semester, he'd buy me any guitar I wanted for Christmas. And I had my eye on a Les Paul. I was going to be Led Zeppelin, you know, and, <laughs> but my cousin, my cousin, my cousin had a, uh, uh, he's three years older than me. He was a senior in high school and he had a uh, high school kind of a garage slash basement rock band that I just worshiped them, you know, and, uh, I knew their bass player was leaving and he, my cousin told me if I could get a bass, I was in, you know, cause it was the one finger bass back then. It was the, you know, ZZ top, you had a bass and in three minutes you were in a band, you know? And, uh, <laughs> so I, I, I got the bass instead of the Les Paul and started playing with everybody that my dad had played with. And I was so uh, enamored with playing that I would play uh, with dad's old country guys one night a week. I would play rock and roll uh, somewhere in Asheville, North Carolina, just down the road here on, you know, Friday or Saturday and, and, and probably in a church on Sunday with some other folks. So wow. it wants me. That's, I, that's, I, that's, I, that's, sorry. And that's bluegrass. Great yeah. And yeah. there's <laughs> some of the, it was funny cause I stepped right in. My dad kind of retired out of it. And I sort of stepped right into his, a lot, of, especially a couple of his, the, like the old country band and some of the bluegrass guys here in Canton, which there are a lot of. And, yeah. uh, and, and I didn't even know the names of the songs, but I'd heard him play them so much. I just stepped in and started playing. So, <laughs> did, you, did you ever play in Maggie Valley at that old dance hall? The, the oh Lord, the, you're talking about the Maggie Valley the Playhouse. Square, yeah, the Maggie Valley Playhouse. Yeah. Oh, man. I grew up going to that. Well, you know, I was also on a clogging team. That's the first time I made it to the Grand Ole Opry. I mean, I would, when I was a kid, uh, square dancing and clogging was a huge deal. And, uh, I mean, I, many a night I would leave baseball practice or football practice and still in uniform and go to clogging practice. <laughs> well, you the know, Maggie, the Maggie Valley Playhouse, funny, I tell people all the time, that was our skating rink. <laughs> if you wanted to hold hands with a pretty girl, you had to go square dance with her. You had to go square dance. 
I learned to, I started to clog and I learned to buck dance. And I remember, you know, when I came out to the cities, you know, I'd get up and buck dance and people looked like, like I was insane. <laughs> I, I actually, uh, I actually clogged at a bar mitzvah uh, in San Francisco once and they thought I'd invented some kind of new step. They all wanted to <laughs> Well, yeah, no, that's the, uh, that's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, that's the thing. It's like the, you know, one place where white men in America will get up and dance by themselves. <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's all it'll get up and do it too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so that's cool. Did you ever, did you ever get to meet or pay, play with uh, Raymond Fairchild, Raymond Fairchild oh, for me? Oh yeah, Raymond Fairchild, sure. He, um, I remember Raymond for the first time coming to my, elementary school which was pennsylvania avenue elementary school here in canton and uh uh, raymond would come with his band and play for the kids you know it was really cool and in later years i met raymond uh, when i started playing bluegrass we played the same festivals like the big cherokee festival and and all over the country we played with raymond fairchild and usually raymond and the crow brothers josh and wayne crow Cool. So, yeah, uh, he, just, he just died recently. I remember, uh, you know, I, yeah, I remember growing up with him in the mountains. And it was oh, like, he was a, he was a character, man. He was uh, he was a lot of things. He was a storyteller, a moonshiner. Uh, I mean, uh, just all kinds of stuff. And uh, he had a, he had a million selling single with a with a banjo instrumental. Yeah. Back in the sixties, all oh, he had gold records all over the place. You know. Yeah. Well, cool. Uh, we got to take a break. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk more about the bluegrass and gospel. All right. Yes, sir. Yeah. Where were we? So we were talking about uh, talking about your, your, your playing music in places. Now, you started professionally touring when you were very young, weren't you? Um, and um, so, you know, I, right, what, right out of high school, right? Yeah, I started traveling um, with a group out of Canton here. Uh, a local gospel group. Well, I say local. I was a senior in high school at Pisgah, 17. And uh, this group uh, from Canton here called the Happy Travelers. They were a gospel quartet, which I knew nothing about gospel quartets, except uh, growing up here, you've got a heavy dose of the Inspirations from Bryson City and the Kingsman from Asheville. Uh, other, Other than that, I had no idea. But these guys wanted me to play and travel which at 17, I can believe they had a big silver Eagle bus, you know, and, and, uh, we went out the first weekend and, and they hired me and, uh, um, yeah. And that was it. I, and I fell in love with the gospel music, um, that was going on at that time and, um, and stayed in it a long, long time, you know? Yeah. I remember around that time, you know, the, uh, there was sort of a religious revival going on with young people quite a bit. Cause I got, uh, I was in that too. I was preaching at the Methodist church and everything. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, uh, you know, that was uh, a big time for getting a little bit into gospel. Sure. Uh, yeah. So um, what uh, what towns were the big in the circuit back those days? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, um, the the Bible Belt, really. Um, yeah. Well, I'll tell you this, you know, um, it was it's hard to say it was it was popular all over, the, especially the eastern part of the United States. I missed my senior prom at Pisgah because we were playing in Detroit, Michigan that night. Oh, wow. And uh, the group I was in, those uh, those guys were kind of a, I won't say B-level group. They, they were kind of an opening act for the major gospel groups of the day, which, you know, Kingsman, Inspirations, uh, you know, Cathedrals, all these great gospel groups. So I went from straight from high school chorus and band to, you know, playing in Detroit that night uh, as part of the opening act on those concerts and just kind of kept going up through there because I love the music, you know. Cool. So, um, 
you know, the, you know, I, I read a little bit about gospel music, and you know, and there seems that there was at the time the main the gospel was sort of a mainstream. The mainstream gospel was turned tend to be a little bit like a quartet, right? Yeah. And then you, then the mountain gas gospel was a, a, a bit different, right? Yeah, and, and absolutely. There was the male quartet thing, which had been popular since the nineteen forties, uh, with groups like the Statesman Quartet. These are groups that would come all over the country. And, uh, well, even the Ryman Auditorium, one weekend a month, one Saturday night a month, was an all-night gospel scene during you know the Ryman's Grand Ole Opry years. And there were, you know, uh, there, there there was the quartet style with the Statesman, the Blackwood Brothers, and then there was the family group kind of thing with the Happy Goodmans. Uh, the Hensons, some of these people you'd see on the gospel singing Jubilee on Sunday morning, right. hugely, hugely popular uh, syndicated show. And uh, and then you had bluegrass gospel. And the cool thing I noticed at a young age, because I grew up on the bluegrass more so than the quartet style, was that the gospel audience embraced both or all three kinds, really. Mm-hmm. We would go play. I remember going to play many gospel concerts and there would be. Uh, the group I was playing for, and they would there would be the Hensons, a family style country gospel group, and then there would be uh, my friends, the Primitive Quartet from over here in Candler, North Carolina, which is a bluegrass gospel group. Right. And the, the audience just, you know, it was a message for them, and if the music was good, they it was all good, you know. Wow, well, that's uh, I mean, I guess that was an exciting time to be involved in something that was sort of different than what everybody was used to, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, cool. Um, I was reading again and it caught my eye. The, there was a form of gospel and you were talking about the Cherokee and it was called the Cherokee gospel. What the heck is that? Well, I, I, I'm not an expert at it, but I, I would say that's where, you know, um, uh, and I'm certainly no uh, uh, lettered scholar in it, but I know, you yeah. know, some of the first things that the Cherokees translated into their written language when Sequoia wrote, you know, came up with that language is 86 character syllabary that he did. Um, before the removal of the Cherokees, uh, some of the first things, you know, they had their own newspaper, they had their own printing press uh, in the Cher- Cherokee capital. Was, they put, put out their own newspaper called the Cherokee Phoenix. Um, and they, they immediately started uh, uh, translating the hymn books and the Bible into the Cherokee language. And to this day, you can still go hear Cherokee family gospel groups that will sing a song in English like Amazing Grace, and then they'll sing a verse or two in in the Cherokee language. Oh wow, that must be really cool. I, I don't yeah. think I ever, I never, I, I ever heard yeah. that. I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, yeah, I've played a lot in Cherokee over the years. They love bluegrass and gospel both, and uh, and uh, you'll forever somebody will get up and and sing Amazing Grace and and do it in the Cherokee language, which is really really cool. So you spent uh, about fifteen years total with the Kingsmen. I guess over two stints, right? And it's like one of the great gospel quartets. Out I did. Era. And you did that really pretty young. I mean, at 23, you landed on this major band, didn't you? That's, uh, that, was, uh, that was something. So what are some of the members you have with those guys? Oh, wow, like? there's too many, too many to name. But I just remember when I joined the Kingsman, they hired me. To, um, I'd been working in the studio uh, as a studio musician, which is a whole different facet of my musical career and a great big part of it. Um, and I became kind of a house bass player at a, at a big studio in Asheville. And it was predominantly gospel records. So there's a gentleman named Eldridge Fox that owned the Kingsman. And he was a very prolific producer in the gospel world. So I played on tons of albums for him, recording sessions. And uh, 
I was uh, playing bass, but I still loved to travel and all that kind of stuff. So at one point in the late 80s, he had two guys leaving the Kingsman at once. It's a hard life. We were gone average 250 days a year, easy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he had his bass player and his baritone singer were leaving at the same time. And he knew I could do both or at least hold down both till he could get somebody (laughs) to fill one or the other. So they hired me. And, you know, I remember the first night out was at a big concert in Atlanta. And they called me up to sing and scared me to death because uh, I was a bass player by trade. I could hear the harmony and all that. But um, I just remember standing there between three what are now Gospel Music Hall of Famers. Uh, you know, there was Eldridge Fox, uh, Jim Hamill, who's the lead singer, and Ray Reese, uh, the bass singer, all Hall of Famers. Ray Reese still has the Kingsman to this day. Mm. Uh, he's the only surviving one of that group uh, of, that I'm talking about. And um, just... I remember stepping up between those guys and just could just could not believe it. And, uh, you know, I, it was, it carried me all over the United States and Canada. And my, uh, you know, my first time to sing on the Grand Ole Opry was with the Kingsman mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, just all kinds of stuff all over. Uh, then you found out cause every year we would take the month of February and start in Texas or somewhere and play uh, <clears throat> Phoenix and uh, Albuquerque end up in Los Angeles and all up the West coast and uh, Oregon and Washington, and then up into British Columbia, Alberta, <clears throat> the people in Canada would drive six or eight hours to come wow. here. You hear you play at one of these big concerts. Cause that's all they got the whole year. Wow. So it was, it was amazing to me. It was, I wouldn't call it a, a counterculture, but it was definitely a whole different world that I didn't know even existed. And it was, you know, just, Doing it at that level for that long was a uh, was a great blessing for me. Well, they came out of Asheville, and you came out of Canton, and there's some good things going on in that area. Uh, has Asheville always been a great uh, area for gospel music in the center of it? It's been a big part of it. Uh, going back even to um, you know prior to my days, there was an old fellow in Asheville named Riley that brought those great you know the big gospel acts to the old Asheville City Auditorium. Uh, the Statesman, the Blackwoods, the Goodmans, all those kinds of people on down through the years. And uh, uh, I don't know if it's the hotbed it was in those days when I was first getting into it. Um, Because honestly, bluegrass, you can do better with bluegrass style music here than about anything else. Yeah, it became became popular with the kids, I think, the the hipsters. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. What we in Asheville, what we around Asheville uh, called the Trustafarians. (laughs) Yeah, they, uh, they, they, we got them in Williamsburg up here, and they're 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 cool kids. But they got into that, they got into that roots music, man. (laughs) They do. They they love. I tell you what, man, we love playing uh, bluegrass for those kinds of audiences because they just. I don't think they're prepared for the power of it, you know when the drive hits in a good bluegrass band, it's, yeah. it's kind of got that rock and roll energy about it. And when that hits them, especially with acoustic instruments, they lose their minds. It's so much fun. And you know, when you, you put clog into it, you can go pretty crazy with clogging. I mean, you can, you know, you can throw a, throw Oh yeah. A hoe yeah down. <laughs> there was a big festival in Asheville for years called bell share. Yeah. And, I remember uh, that. Yeah. Oh, it was huge. And, uh, um, and it had everything. And they always had us close it out. And it was so much fun because they'd close off the streets of downtown Asheville. And there'd be, you know, eight or 10,000 people out there. And we would have farmers from out here in Jonathan Creek on Haywood out there in the streets dancing with the, with the hippie kids doing the spin, you know. <laughs> it was it was all 
all for one and one for all. It was just great, you know. Yeah, well, you know, that that sort of hippie uh, thing has always been around. We remember we used to have the rainbow children come there every year. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the mountains have always had this sort of counterculture, you know, yeah. sort of aspect. Yeah. Uh, well, that's pretty cool. Well, you know, I, uh, I, 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 I see in 1991, you and Mickey Gamble formed a new recording company called the Mountain Home Music Company. That's right. Pretty big, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what happened with that. You know, I, I mentioned a minute ago how I saw at a young age, the bluegrass people, uh, uh, the, the gospel people loved the bluegrass. And even with the Kingsman, they would have me take a guitar in the middle of a quartet style program and sing a couple of three bluegrass style songs. And I saw very quickly that the gospel people loved both styles. So I talked to Mickey, who owned um, a studio in Asheville about a, a late. And I, I was with the Kingsman at the time, but I was looking for an outlet to perform or not perform so much, but produce and 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 just play some bluegrass because I loved it so much. And they understood the business idea I had that, um, you know, at that time, the gospel people would accept either one. So we have what I considered a double market. And we started out with, it was all bluegrass gospel to start with. And it just kind of kept growing and growing and growing and morphing over the years. And, and our band is still on that label all these years. Was it 30 years later? Oh, Lord. Oh, that's great. <laughs> well, I'm going to take a break now. And we'll finish up a little bit more about that story. All right. Sounds pretty good. I love that. I love that. And, and, and the actual artists that might be involved. All right. Okay. Sure. Hey, it's Joseph Franklin McElroy back with Gateway to the Smokies podcast. And my guest, Tim Surd of Balsam Range. Uh, t- hey, Tim, we were talking about your, uh, about your, uh, your, your, your recording company. And uh, I was wondering, uh, can, can you tell me about the Smoky Mountain talents you're seeing these days? Man, we started out with, um, with all local folks pretty much. Um, um, you know, just uh, uh, there was so much bluegrass around here and still is local gospel family bands, that kind of stuff. Uh, and then we started getting people from out of the area. Uh, but, you know, we've, we've had everybody, and you can think of, and over the past 30 years, uh, major, major names uh, on our label, and a lot of them are still there. So, uh, um, yeah, it started out with, i tell you, one of my favorites is uh, a young man from Candler, North Carolina, uh, by the name of Brian Sutton. And uh, Brian is a, a Grammy Award winner, world-class guitar player. Uh, I don't know how many times he's won Bluegrass Guitar Player of the Year, but he's played with everybody on the planet from Ricky Skaggs to everybody you can think of. And uh, I met him when he was senior in high school at Inca and got him on his first session. And next thing you know, he's traveling with Ricky Skaggs. But back in those days, uh, these family groups would come in to record from the area and they would have myself and another musician named David Johnson, who plays everything on the planet, plays every instrument I've ever seen at a master level and also a humble, sweet guy. And a lot, I can't tell you how many records we cut for these family bands with just myself and David. Oh, wow. Just the two of us would play all the instruments and, uh, and, and it was so much fun, but over the years it morphed into a, an actual major bluegrass label. And we've had everybody from Tony Rice, Larry Sparks, um, you know, bluegrass household names, Doyle Lawson and Quicksilver, Balsam Range, Lonesome River Band, the Graskels, 
uh, too many to name. And uh, it looks like a who's who. I looked, I looked at it and it was pretty impressive. It was like, oh my gosh, this is a this is the real deal here. Yeah, it's it's been a wonderful thing for. Uh, I can't believe it. It just hit me that talking to you that yeah, this year makes thirty years. Wow. Nuts, man. That's crazy. I hate to remind you of your age. <laughs> Oh, I can see myself. It's a reminder already. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you've experienced, uh, so we're into bluegrass now, and you've experienced a lot of Mount, of mount music, all right? Yeah. Uh, and your music heritage comes from the Smoky Mountains, but you've traveled a lot, too, and you've seen bluegrass, and a lot, you know, bluegrass is claimed in a lot of different areas. Is there anything different about the Smoky Mountain bluegrass that, uh, that uh, <laughs> would make a distinctive sound? I think there, um, I think there is uh, usually in bands from this area, Western North Carolina, or some of them in East Tennessee on the smoke that side of the Smokies. There's an energy there that's um, that's kind of unmistakable. Unmistakable, you can really feel it. And there's also an element, I think, of the old time music. You know, the fiddle tune kind of thing that creeps in. I know it does in our music. It creeps in quite often, and mm-hmm. that um, I love that stuff. You know. Uh, um, so I do think that kind of sets people from our region apart just a little bit. It's, it's a, a difference. And of course our accents have something to do with it, you know, well, especially yeah, yeah, yeah. With, with balsam range, people say, you know, the way you harmonize are you guys, is that family harmony? And I said, no, that's County harmony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We did a show, you know, the, the, the couple, a couple of weeks ago about the Scottish influence on mountain culture. You know, and, and, and talking about, you know, the, how the Scotch-Irish came here you right. know, and brought, a, a, you know, a lot of tradition of that kind of music, of ballads and things that when you started bringing in the banjo and stuff, started morphing into this more beat-driven music that's bluegrass, right? Right, absolutely. I mean, that Scotch-Irish thing is is still huge. Um, you know, it's what it's what's fed Bill Monroe's soul to start this kind of thing off in the first place. But... Uh, yeah, it's especially around here that that like that's what I'm saying that old time droning fiddle, uh, fiddle tune kind of thing, and every bluegrass band in the world still plays some of these songs that very well came over from yeah. Scotland or England or Ireland or Wales or somewhere over in there, and, and that's why that music cross pollinates. That's why the Irish music resonates so strongly with people like us. You know, it's yeah. there's something in our blood that 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 really um, identifies with us. Now you had mentioned one point. I was, I was looking looking up, and you really felt that it's like uh, there's a bluegrass is like an you know, seems very authentic. It feels natural to you, doesn't it? Oh yeah, I'll tell you. For me, and we're you know close to the same age. I spoke about wanting to play rock and roll when I was a kid, and when I was a, like a high schooler, radio was. I mean, pop, pop, popular radio was so good. I mean, you you uh, in just and you're always sentimental about what you grew up on. But on pop radio, you would hear the Eagles or Kansas or uh, Foreigner or, you know, all these great singing bands. And then when the 80s rolled around, you know, the new wave thing started. And I'm not degrading anybody's opinion. That's why there's buttons on the radio. But for me, the it, the synth era kind of it lost me a little bit. And it I, I started longing for something more authentic, more uh, primitive, I guess you might say. And uh, it drove me to back to bluegrass and in, in particular, Bill Monroe, uh, the father of bluegrass is he's widely known. And there was something, there was something, they called it the high lonesome sound. There's yeah. something, uh, there's something in that music. I even heard David Letterman talk about it one time. He loved Bill Monroe. And uh, 
there was something in that that really, really got to me. And people like Bill Monroe and, and Ralph Stanley, the Stanley brothers, mm-hmm. the way they sang, it was, it was a, uh, it was a, had a lonesome quality to it that had a real mountain thing about it, you know. And, well, it's, that, uh, it's that Scotch Irish influence, you know. They had the oh yeah, had immigrants yeah. so much that you know they were always lo- longing for home that they didn't even know existed anymore. There's a longing for something, and yes. I don't know if you, I don't know if you ever find it. But, yeah, uh, well, that but makes the, the sound. <laughs> whatever, whatever that is comes out in that sound, and that's the authenticity, and just the fact that the skill level it takes to play bluegrass well. Because there's nothing between you and the crowd, but your your hands on the instrument and your voice. That's all there is, you know. So there's is there a lot of authentic instruments? I'm talking about handcrafted things. I know you did a uh, you produced an album with Tony Rice called Crossings that featured handcrafted instruments. Well, some, yeah, is all of that built in the mountains or some of it? Yeah, well, sure. Um, uh, there's there's a um, you know there's the, there's a two or three makers of instruments like Martin guitars or Gibson instruments, the banjos and uh, mandolins. But there's also a huge culture nowadays of custom instruments, handmade instruments um, that are based on some of the great instruments of the 20s, 30s, 40s of the last century. Our guitar player, Caleb Smith, you should contact him about an episode because he builds custom guitars, dreadnought guitars that are unbelievable. And, uh, and, uh, there is a big thing, you know, you got the whole dulcimer culture here that is, is a cool sound that's that's all its own. It has that droning sound, that Irish or Scotch Irish kind of thing. Uh and yeah, there's builders of instruments. I know a guy in Canton here that makes fabulous mandolins. There Caleb, our guitar player, makes fabulous guitars ten minutes from where I'm sitting. And we know all kinds of these people around here that make their own instruments uh, to a, a really high master level. Wow. So let's talk about Balsam Range now. How did how did you guys come together? It's a legendary band now. Uh, well, if you hang around long enough, they call you that. But uh, yeah. <laughs> they call I, I call it a very very happy um, coincidence, basically. And I don't believe in coincidence all that much. But it's a joke. But all of us had been all over the country and all over the world playing in different bands of some kind. Myself in the gospel world. Uh, Mark Pruitt, our banjo player, played with Ricky Skaggs for many years and on his albums. And all the guys have been all over the place. And we all ended up back in, in Canton around here about the same time. And we didn't all even know each other because, like I say, I've been on the road since I was 17, you know. <clears throat> and we, uh, our mandolin player, Darren Nicholson, I ran into him at a Pisgah football game. First one I'd been to. <laughs> first one I'd been off the road to, to go to in about 20 years. And, uh, he stopped me at the ball game and said he was going to do a solo. He called me Mr. Surrey. He said, I'm going to do a record. I want you to play the bass on it, which I do quite often. And uh, I said, sure. Well, Mark and I ended up playing on that record. Great record. And a month or two later, Buddy Melton, our fiddle player, tenor singer, who is spectacular. Um, um, he called Mark and uh, wanted to do another solo bluegrass record. And Mark and I ended up playing on that record. We had so much fun. Uh, on those two records, uh, we Mark and I said, let's get these two bunches together and just jam a little, you know. So we got together uh, in right before Christmas of 06 at Darren's house here in Canton. And let's just play some standards and pick a little bit, you know. And the first notes went off and we were like, ooh, this that sounds pretty good, you know. Yeah. We we jammed for a couple of three hours and said, well, I'll tell you what, let's get back together after Christmas do it again, have some more fun. 
Well, we did, and and I was curious to see if it still sounded good, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so we got together in 07 in January, kicked off the first song. We're like, ooh, there it is, you know. And um, Mark Pruitt was kind of the local guy for all the gigs, like my dad used to play, all the corporate things and stuff. And he said, I've been contacted to play a, a show at Asheville at the Grove Park Inn, huge tourist great old beautiful place mm-hmm. and he said you guys want to do it he said you want to do it we'll just make up a name and go and we made up a name and i don't remember what it was it was not balsam range but we went and did the show total non-bluegrass crowd of about 2500 people and they lost their minds and we we thought let's just you know do this a little more and it just kind of more mm-hmm. more 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 started right. playing around Asheville regularly and then broadened out and then what really hit for us was um, um, we cut our first record in 07 and Darren, our mandolin player, gave a copy to a great friend of ours by the name of Kyle Cantrell. Uh, he was a, a WSM in Nashville for years and years, a Grand Ole Opry announcer. And he was uh, hired to be the program director for the Bluegrass Channel on Sirius XM. And he, uh, he took that CD and not knowing what to make of it, played it loved it and started playing this one tune and it kind of went it blew up as, as much as bluegrass can blow up right yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> and, uh. and people started calling and booking all over the place and here we are 14 years later been all over the world very thankful right. for that happy coincidence man well after we after we come back from this break you're gonna tell me how you came up with the name balsam range all right Hi, this is Joseph Franklin McElroy. He's very eager to get back to you with the gateway to the uh, to the Smokies podcast with my guest, Tim Surratt of uh, Balsam Range. So tell me, Tim, how did you come up with that name, Balsam Range? Well, um, as I said, we were playing locally then, and that's all we intended to do, truthfully. Um, play around Haywood County, maybe Asheville some more and whatnot. But uh, we start, trying to find a name for a bluegrass band is tough. Uh, I tried to... I suggested Def Heifer, but the rest of them wouldn't buy that. So uh, <laughs> um, we started looking at landmarks around the county that would, you know, we had that real Haywood County thing. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, we came across, uh, we, you know, we tried all the names around on the parkway and whatnot, and the Smokies. We thought Catalucci would never work because nobody would spell it or say it. And uh, um, But here up on the parkway, the highest point around here is the, uh, the Great Balsam Range. Yeah. You know, those those mountains that uh, kind of horseshoe Haywood County and Jackson County. And uh, we decided to go with that. Uh, but we thought Great Balsam Range was a little pretentious. So we dropped that. <laughs> yeah. We, decided yeah, we just started Range. out with that in the first set. We're the Great Balsam Range. Yeah. We, <laughs> so we just decided to go with the pretty good Balsam Range. And, uh, oh, us Haywood County boys are humble. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Because if you're not, the rest of the county will humble you. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, right. <laughs> they don't mind at all, but that's uh, where it came from. We didn't think we would ever play that far away from it that no, people wouldn't know what it meant. Yeah. So you're all accomplished musicians, and all of you, all of you, I saw, have been lead singers at some point. Now, how do you manage that? It's fun, man. To tell you the truth, um, it's so much fun because you, you. I think it's fun for the audience because you don't listen to the, you know one guy sing every song or or the same trio singing harmony or we can switch around a lot and we do and i think it's more interesting to people um uh they're trying to figure out well who's singing now you know so it's fun for us when we're arranging music because um 
you know, we can put different people singing different parts. And sometimes, uh, you know, you can have one guy singing lead and three guys singing behind him. So it opens up a lot of, a lot of uh, variety in your harmony singing. Yeah. Imagine uh, the drama that you guys do have in the band it's, at our mature age is probably more like, well, I'm just going to go outside for a cigarette. <laughs> oh, we joke all the time, myself and Darren Nicholson, cause Caleb sings lead a lot. Buddy sings tenor. He's got the high voice. And Darren and I flip a coin for the baritone part, and whoever loses has to take it, you know. <laughs> there you go. Coming out with a simple system. That's the way to do there it. There you go, yeah. Yeah. So what is your latest album? Uh, we've got uh, the latest one we've had out uh, called Eonic, A-E-O-N-I-C. It's a pretty cool uh, word, and it did very well for us. It was number one on Billboard. Uh, it was a really great uh, record for us. Uh, we've, we're about two-thirds of the way through a new record and the only reason we haven't finished it's because we can't go play at this particular time you know we have we've had two number one songs this past year off an unfinished record and the songs we've never really played them in public because you know there's no shows at this point so um we got a new record in the in the works had a new single go out this past friday uh uh, the new single well i wish you hadn't asked me Uh, it's called it's called Rivers and Rains and Runaway Trains. Oh, wow. It's, it's the new single, maybe the album title. I don't know. But, that uh, sounds like a perfect country western song. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's got that longing in it, doesn't it? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, we've we've uh, we've been blessed. I don't even know how many albums we've we've done now, 10 or 11, I guess. Yeah. And uh, and they've all done very well for us. But uh, Eonic was a good one. The number one on Billboard was a really cool thing for us. So you haven't been able to play much this year. How's COVID been t- treating you guys? Well, it's tough on all musicians. And uh, we figured since last March, we've played three live shows. Uh-huh. Uh, and one in uh, Texas, one in Oklahoma, and one in Ohio. And uh, we've got one scheduled for the 30th in Newberry, South Carolina, at, that, at the famous Newberry Opera House. Yeah. This is one of our favorite shows we do every year. So we're just praying it hangs in there, you know. Um, but, but yeah, it's been tough on ton, all the musicians from the lowest to the superstars. Uh, it's very difficult time. And, uh, we've tried to use that time to record more and, you know, kind of concentrate on that. Uh-huh. Well, 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 if you think you, when do you think you might get a tour together? Would it be next year or would it be at the end well, of the year? Well, a lot of our dates that, you know, you book a year, two years in advance and yeah. for the latter half of the year, a lot of our dates are still there. So. It just remains to be seen how many of them stay. A lot of the dates for the early part of the first half of the year have already moved to next year. So it's going to be, I think it's going to be very similar to this past year, unfortunately. Do you have any dates in the Smoky Mountain area and or the New York area? No, you know, some of the dates, uh, January and February and the first week of March was all we had last year. And we spent a whole weekend in New York City, which was one of our favorite things to do. We play at the uh, the Hilton there in Manhattan, and uh, it's so much it's so much fun, man. I mean, they don't know what to do with the hillbilly thing, you know. Well, when you and, come, uh, when you come up here, you got to look me up because I can show you some things in New York City. <laughs> oh, I imagine you can. I love it there. I, I, spend like, lot, I, spend I got two year old twins, so it's tough. <laughs> oh my, yeah. Well, I understand that, but uh, um, we'll just it just remains to be seen. Uh, we put our own festival on every December. Here, yeah. at Lake Jun- here at Lake Junaluska in the Smokies here. And uh, and this was the first year that we've had to call it off this past December. It's uh, So I'm, I really hope we can get all that back on for the latter part of the year, Lord willing. 
That one's called this. Well, that's called the Smoky Mountain uh, Bluegrass Festival, right? It was. Well, called? it's called the Balsam Rains Art that's, and Music Festival. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and Never. it's cool because all the music is in Stewart Auditorium, which is a beautiful indoor facility. But you're looking out over the lake, and it's it's got the outdoor vibe to it. But it's all indoors, and yeah. and people people come from all over the country, and we've had people from overseas come, and because you in in the Smoky Mountains in December, you can ski. And the next day you can play golf, you know, you never know. So. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you know, if, it, if this COVID thing keeps you locked in a little bit, when it gets a little bit warmer, we have a, we have an open pavilion at the Metal Arc Motel, the big old backyard, four <laughs> acres, and you guys can come by and just uh, throw down if you wanted to. <laughs> Man, We've got this show coming up uh, on the 30th in South Carolina. And I, I was home yesterday and got my instruments out for the first time in a while just to see if my fingers would bleed, you know? So uh, we're going to have to get back into shape. That's for sure. So, um, so tell me, uh, you've got a radio show now and you're about to go to it after this. Tell I am. How about you got five, into that. <laughs> five or six minutes. Well, you know, back in August, it was, I, I was really missing the fellowship of the road and the band and the people that we play for. We've had a strict policy of make friends, not fans. Um, kind of attitude and I was really missing the interaction with all our friends across the world and I started thinking of some way we could get together and uh, um, that kind of thing and it just came in my mind you know what about a radio show and I came and I talked to my friend a longtime high school friend uh, you might remember Terrell Reck from Tuscola she's the same age I am yeah uh, but anyway her dad is on the little local radio station here in Haywood County since the uh 70s and i uh um i called her up and i said i'm thinking about i might want to do a radio show i don't know what i don't have any experience with it she said when do you want to start so about 10 days later we went on the air doing two hours of uh live um uh, radio doing bluegrass uh classic country music and um gospel and, and gospel as well. And it's just kind of took off on us. And, and that's twice uh, a week, right? On uh, what, Tuesdays and Thursdays? Tuesdays and Thursdays from 7 uh, p.m. Eastern to 10. And what is the and, radio uh, station? WPTL in Canton. And uh-huh. uh, it's WPTLradio.net. Or uh, they have a, an, an app as well on iPhones or whatnot, or a smartphone app. So we stream and it's gone nuts on us in a good way. We're having, you know, 13, 14, 15,000 people every episode everywhere from Heidelberg, Germany to uh, Trout Creek, Montana. So and and 10 or 12, 11, 12,000 people in in this region. Well, I appreciate you coming on and taking the time to be with us. Uh, This has been a wonderful show, even though we had some glitches. And uh, Uh, I'll let you go to get to your show and finish up here with what we're doing, what we're doing. So thank you very much, Tim. Hey, my pleasure. It's it's fun to do. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, folks, thank you for listening to Gateway to the Smokies uh, podcast. I want to mention that uh, you can find more about us at facebook.com slash Gateway to the Smokies podcast. We're also, uh, we're also part of a, this uh, Wear Traveler magazine network. Where we're actually building a, uh, a section in Wear Traveler, which is a 100-year-old magazine or something like that, uh, for travel, and it's called the Great Smoky Mountains uh, section. You can go find out a lot of good articles there. I've also... I got a local uh, a website called uh, uh, SmokiesAdventure.com where you can get listings about hiking and music and places to go in the Smoky Mountains uh, and also find stories that will help you experience those adventures uh, deeply and uh, with a lot of fun. 
And of course, I own a motel in Maggie Valley, North Carolina. Yeah. My family, yeah. 45 years. It's the Metal Arc Motel. Uh, dot com metalarkmotel.com and you're welcome to come visit with us and, and start your smoky mountain adventures with where you stay and thank you very much see you next week